I want to welcome everyone here today with us. Thanks for joining us. You know, uh, this is the season of Thanksgiving, and I hope this season you'll be able to focus on what you do have and not on what you don't have. Even though we're not having in-person services right now, I want you to know I'm thankful that we can have this time together. I'm thankful that because of your generosity, we're still able to make an impact for the kingdom of God here in our town and around the world. A few weeks ago, I shared with you how we were able to do a medical clinic in Haiti, and we saw over a thousand patients in over seven days. We were able also to do a training for the people in the villages who needed to know how to help people in medical emergencies. And all of those people got to hear the message of God's love for them. They got to hear that Jesus came and died for their sins and rose again from the dead. And many of those people gave their lives over him. And that's something to be thankful for. Also, last weekend, we baptized close to 100 people. What a celebration we had. That's also something to be thankful for. And one last thing, because you care about every person, because every person matters to God and they matter to us as well, we were able to send on your behalf 1,500 Bibles to a country in the Middle East that desperately needs the Word of God. Listen to me, friends, a pandemic can't shut the church down because you are the church and we are more than just a one hour a week worship service. So I want you to know that I am very, very thankful for you. Well, last week we started our brand new series called Would You Rather? And we're seeing that the choices that we make in life lead us to a destination. Wise person once said, we make our choices and then our choices make us. Well, we had such a great time last week playing Would You Rather that I thought we would take another shot at this game as well. So we'll walk on over here to the big board. Here comes the Would You Rather questions. Now, if you're watching us on Facebook or YouTube, there's a comment section, and you can comment right there on which one you would rather do. Are you ready? Now, if those of us who aren't watching on YouTube and Facebook and you're in your home, you just raise your hand, just play along with the pastor. I'd appreciate it. All right, would you rather? Question number one, would you rather have diarrhea on a plane ride that's six hours long or be stuck next to someone who has that situation? All right, now think that one through. Do you want to be the person who has the diarrhea or do you want to be sitting next to the person who has to get up every five minutes? Who wants to be the person who has diarrhea? Okay, I don't understand that one, but that's okay. I would much rather get up for the person every 30 seconds if I have to, as long as I don't have that issue in my life. Let's go to the next question. Would you rather, this one's so bad, would you rather have a stranger lick your foot or lick your best friend's foot? Where do we come up with these questions? I do not know <laughs> which one would you choose? All right, you ready? How many would rather have a stranger lick their foot? Yeah, I, I, you are sick and wrong. What can I say? How about this one? How, when you, how many would like to lick your best friend's foot? There's something wrong with you too. How many of us would rather just not lick anybody's foot and have nobody lick our foot as well? Yeah, that's what I would rather. Let's get the next question up on the big board. Would you rather have all your teeth fall out or have all your hair fall out? Now, this is an easy one for some of you because one of those two things 
unfortunately has already happened to you. I'm certain that you wouldn't want the other one if the other one's already happened. But let's play the game. Which one would you rather have? How many would rather have your teeth fall out? My wife said to me this past week when I asked her this question, which would you rather? She said, I'd rather have my teeth fall out. I can get false teeth. I said, oh, okay. Uh, how many would rather have your hair fall out? Anybody like that? How many have already had both of these happen? No reason for you to raise your hand. Everybody in the room already knows it. Let's go to the next question. This one is exclusively for the wives who are watching. You ready? Wives, we've got a question for you. Would you rather be married to the smartest person in the world or to the hottest person in the world? Okay? Think that one through, ladies, because this is, this is a tough one, right? Because your husband's probably sitting right there in the room with you, so here we go. We're actually going to ask this question. How many of you would rather be married to the smartest person in the world? Okay, a few of you. That's good. How many of you would rather be married to the hottest person in the world? So you're more of a superficial person than anything else, right? How many would say, ladies, that you've already married both? Huh? Oh, look at that. My wife's hand just went shooting straight up. Well, not really. She's not here. But I can imagine it. Can I? Let me give you one more. Would you rather have no eyebrows or just have one eyebrow? Okay, that one's really, really not worth even, even talking about. Uh, here, here's the interesting thing, friends. In life, we're going to make a lot of choices. And unfortunately, we found out that many times we choose the wrong thing. And there's a reason for that. James Cleary, the author of Atomic Habits, this is what he wrote. He says, as a general rule, the more immediate pleasure we get from an action, the more strongly we should question whether it aligns with our long-term goals over the kind of person that we want to become. So let me break this down in layman's terms. When we're faced with a choice, many times we will pick whatever is easier, whatever gives us pleasure in the moment rather than making choices that will help us become the people that deep down inside we really want to become. Now, we gave a lot of examples for this last week. Have you ever met somebody who wants to lose weight? They're always saying that they're going to lose weight, right? Why haven't they lost the weight? Because it's easier to put off the diet than to go on one of those diets and lose those extra pounds. To lose weight means you got to count calories, you got to watch what you eat, you got to stay away from sweets. Basically, you have to starve yourself for three months and you've got to go to the gym and you got to get on the cardio machines and you got to sweat and you haven't sweat in years. Let's face it, the hard choice is hard, and the easy way, well, that leads us to the refrigerator to get some more isocream. And who doesn't love more isocream? We say that we want to have a close, intimate relationship with the Lord, right? Every single one of us watching, you say, I want to have a close, intimate relationship with the Lord. But we, we know to do that, we've got to slow down. We have to actually spend time with God. We've, we've got to listen to what God has to say through the Bible, and we've got to talk to him about what's going on in our life, and we all say that we want it. I mean, come on, we became Christians not just for God's forgiveness and getting to go to heaven one day, but we asked Jesus into our life because we wanted him to lead us. We wanted him to guide us. We wanted him to help us through life. We didn't want to do life alone, but slowing down and spending time with God is hard. You got to find a quiet place. You got, got to read, read your Bible, and, and nobody reads anymore. And you have to quiet yourself to pray. 
but your mind keeps thinking about what you need to do and where you need to go and you just can't seem to focus. So what do we do? We pick up the smartphone and we snap a chatty and we ticky-tocky and we facey-booky or we turn on the TV or we, we do some other project because activity is always more exciting than being still before God. And here's the problem. If we keep taking the easy way, we will never become the people that we want to become, the kind of person that God created us to become. So we need to decide that we're going to take the hard way because the hard way always leads to the results that we really want in our life. So today I want to talk to you about the choice of being loving, to do the loving thing even though the easier path would be to be unloving or even apathetic because that's what the opposite of love is. The opposite of love isn't hate. The opposite of love is apathy, where you just don't care, where you don't lift a finger to help somebody else. So let's play the game at home. You ready to play? Get ready to put your hands up. Get ready to put in the comments. Uh, would you rather be known for being a loving person or for being a self-absorbed person? Okay, how many would like to be known for being a loving person? And how many would rather have the world revolve around them? <laughs> Seems like a stupid question, doesn't it? Because deep down inside, what do we all want? I mean, everybody's hands should have shot up by saying, I really want to be a more loving person. I mean, we don't want to be a narcissist. We don't want to be self-absorbed. That's not the best version of ourselves. And yet many people care more about themselves than they care about others. And why is that? It's because it's easier. It's easier to be consumed with yourself than to reach into someone's world and love them with the same love that God has loved you with. It's easier to put our needs ahead of the needs of somebody else. It's easier to go down the wide path that leads to destruction than to stay on the narrow path that leads to a life of influence. But we all want to be loving, right? Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, that the pursuit of being loving is the highest pursuit of all. He says three things remain. He says faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Jesus said this, By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. We live in a society that doesn't understand what love's got to do, got to do with it. I'm sorry, I couldn't resist. The word love is so overused in the English language, it's lost so much of its meaning. I mean, we look our spouse in the eye and we say, oh, I love you, honey, hush. Of course, we also say we love green chili, the Kansas City Chiefs, and our kids. At least I do. We use the term so flippantly, we don't even know what the word love even means. In the first century, they didn't have just one word for love. They had three. One word they used was the word eros. That's the root word for erotic. This is the sexual love that a husband has for his wife. The second word they had for love was phileo. This is the root for the word Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. It has to do with a love between two friends, a brotherly kind of love. But the third word, word that they had for love was the word agape love. And agape love asks the question, what can I do for you? This is the highest level of love. This is the kind of love that we should always be shooting for. Agape love says in spite of, in spite of who you are, in spite of what you did, in spite of what my circumstances are, I will honor other people as better than myself. Now, that's the kind of love that God has for us, in spite of kind of love, in spite of our rebellion, in spite of our sin, 
in spite of all the times that we said one thing and we did another, God still loves us. This overwhelming, unconditional, unrelenting love is the same love that God has given to each of us, and it's the kind of love, agape love, that God wants his followers to extend to everyone else. So Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, he says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I, am, I, I gain nothing. Now, now what, what does he mean by all that? If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. What, what does that mean? Well, what the Bible is saying is, is that words without love are absolutely useless. That word tongues is the Greek word glossia. It means languages. God gave some people the ability to speak in other languages to spread the message of Jesus faster to the world. In Acts chapter 2, the Bible says that tongues of fire fell on the disciples and they were able to speak in other languages. Now, some of the people who went to the church in Corinth were also giving this supernatural ability as well. But they used the gift not to bring glory to God, but they used it to bring glory to themselves. And they became prideful and they became arrogant. So Paul says, listen, you can have this amazing gift of speaking in other languages, but if you don't have any love inside of you, you're just a clanging gong. In the first century in Corinth, there was a big gong or symbol hanging at the entrance of the pagan temples. And when people came to worship their pagan gods, they would hit the symbol or the gong to wake the pagan god up. Paul says, listen, you may be able to speak in a hundred different languages, more eloquently than anybody else, but if you don't have love, what you say is absolutely useless, just as useless as the ridiculous act of banging a gong to wake up a non-existent God. When we tell people that we love them and then we wound them with our words, that's not being loving. When we say we'll be there for them, when we tell them, man, you can count on me, but then we don't come through like we said we would, that's not being loving. When we look at our spouse and we tell them we love them with everything we've got, but then we go off to work or to the gym and flirt with somebody else, say it with me, that's not being loving. When we cuss, and scream, and belittle, and use sarcasm when our mouths are out of control, that's not being loving. Paul continues, he says, if I have the gift of prophecy, and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains and have not love, I am nothing. He says, if I can predict the future, if I have knowledge to explain the mysteries of the universe, but I don't have love, what good is it? It's all just information. You can be a genius. You can be brilliant. You can be a walking Bible encyclopedia. You can memorize and quote the entire New Testament, be able to answer everybody's Bible questions. But God says it doesn't matter if you don't love one another. If I have faith, he says, that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Faith without love is of no value. If our faith, think about this, if our faith doesn't prompt us to love God more and to love others more, 
then what good is it? This was the problem for the religious leaders of Jesus' day. They had all the right answers, but they didn't have the right heart. Oh, they looked down on others. They thought they were superior to everybody else. They thought they were better than everybody else. 1 John 4, 8 says, Whoever does not love does not know God. Isn't that interesting? 1 John chapter 4, verse 20, If anyone says, I love God, but does not love others, he is a liar. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. So let's clear up the confusion of what love is. First thing, write it down. Love is an action. Love is not something that you feel. It's not something that you say, but love is something that you do. You show people that you love them by leveraging your life and caring more about them than you care about yourself in spite of kind of love, right? In spite of love gets into my hands as I meet the needs of others that God has placed in my life. I see a need and I meet the need. In spite of love gets in my feet as I go to be a light for Jesus in dark places. In spite of love, it gets in my wallet as I use the monies God's entrusted to my care to fund the kingdom of God. In spite of love gets on my calendar as I wedge out time to love my neighbor as myself good is it? What good is it when we have these talents and abilities, but we don't leverage these things to love others? What good is it when we see needs that God has given us the resources to, to meet, but instead of meeting those needs, we hoard everything we've got for ourselves? Our spouse has wounded you again with their words, right? They need in spite of kind of love. Your child has disappointed you again. What do they need? They need in spite of kind of love so that they know that their failures aren't final. The coworker who is obnoxious, the boss that's once again on a power trip needs to feel and know and see your in spite of kind of love for them. You see, the interesting thing about Jesus is he doesn't just tell us to love people that are like us. He tells us to love people that we don't even get along with. He tells us to love our enemies as we love ourselves. And let me be honest with you, I don't like that. I have a hard enough time being loving and putting the needs of those I care about ahead of myself, but now he wants me to take it to a whole nother level? Someone once wrote, to love the whole world for me is no chore. My only problem is my neighbor next door. I can relate, but Jesus doesn't let us off the hook when it comes to love. We're to love others like Jesus loved others, and he didn't hold his love back from anyone. Remember when he was hanging on the cross and there were thieves on each side? Even that one thief on the cross who called out to him and said, remember me when you come into your kingdom? This is a man who's wasted his whole life. Jesus forgave him and told him that today he would be with him in paradise. And that's because love is not only an action, but love is also selfless. It's about putting the needs of other people ahead of yourself. Now, I, I don't like this kind of love. I, I like love when it's about me. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 says, Regard others as more important than yourself. Now, you wouldn't think that those seven words would start a battle in my life, but they do. The problem is, with this verse is the word others. And, and what does others mean? Regard others as better than yourself. Well, others, I looked it up in the Greek. It means others. It means my spouse, 
my kids, my pastor. I want to make sure I threw that one in. It includes everybody I lock eyes with. It's possible. I'm, I'm not saying I do this, so you don't need to ask my wife. There's no reason to bother her, but it's possible to try to make the entire family revolve around you. I'm not saying I do it. I'm just saying it's possible. <laughs> it's possible to demand that dinner be ready and served without even lifting a finger to help. It's possible to pick the TV show with no thought to what someone else might want to watch. I'm not saying anybody does it, but it's possible that when another family member asks for your assistance that you act like you're taking your last breath of life. It's sad, but all too often it's true that we would rather be served than to serve others. And that's not being loving. Love's getting up in the middle of the night and helping with a sick child when that's the last thing that you want to do. Love's being patient with your spouse, even though they're acting like a jerk. Love's giving a person what they need and not what they deserve. And that brings me to my last point. Love is painful. This might be the number one reason why we aren't as loving as God has called us to be. Because when you love the way we've talked about today, this kind of love will hurt you. If you truly love others the way we've talked about today, your heart will be broken by people. People will take advantage of you. People will use you. They will wound you. Makes you want to be more loving, doesn't it? But it's true, isn't it? When you open your heart to people, when you allow yourself to go and reach out, there will be times you won't be received the way you have hoped that you would have been. Loving others this way might hurt you more than you ever realized. If you find yourself there today, I want you to know that you're in some elite company. You see, Jesus' love, it hurt him too. Jesus left his throne in heaven to be born in a smelly stable because of love. And Jesus' heart was broken as a boy time and time again when people would remind him that he was an illegitimate son that Joseph wasn't his dad. This is what they would say. They'd say, isn't this Mary's son? No child was ever referred to as the son of the mom. The child was always referred to as the son of the father. It was the people's way of reminding Jesus of the circumstances of his birth. You see, everyone thought that Mary hadn't been faithful to Joseph, and so she was that kind of a woman. The people treated Mary so poorly. And I'm sure every time they said, isn't this Jesus, Mary's son? I'm certain that those words stung on him every time, especially when he saw what those words did to his mom. His heart broke every time they didn't believe him when he said that he was the son of God, and yet he continued to love people. His disciples abandoned him. They betrayed him, denied him, doubted him. And yet he continued to love them. They tried him and they beat him. They spit on him. They placed a crown of thorns on his head and they beat him with the staff over and over again. They tied him to a pole and they whipped him. And yet he still loved them. Pilate sentenced him to be crucified between two thieves. They drove nails into his hands and feet. And they raised up his cross and they dropped it into the ground. And what were the first words that Jesus said? Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And as he hung there, they laughed at him and mocked him. 
One thief cursed him and the other begged for forgiveness. And Jesus looked at him and loved him. Six hours one Friday, Jesus showed us the price, the ultimate price of love. Jesus said, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than he lay down his life for his friends. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. This is the road that Jesus walked. It was the road less traveled. And if it was good enough for Jesus, it should be good enough for me. And it should be good enough for you. Let me pray for you. Dear Heavenly Father, help us to love the way that you love. Uh, to put the needs of other people ahead of ourselves. To stop being so self-absorbed. Help us to see a need and then to meet the need. Lord, the world does not revolve around us. I pray, God, that we would stop living our life that way that we would choose the loving way, the agape way, the in spite of kind of way, in spite of people's inconsistencies, in spite of all the times we've been wounded, in spite of all the times that we've been hurt by somebody else's words. Oh God, give us the kind of love that continues to love even when we get hurt. The kind of love that you show us again and again every single day. May your love so flow through us that it goes to our family, it goes to our friends, it goes to our coworkers, our classmates, to every person we lock eyes with. May we be marked by your love and may people see the love of Christ living in and through us in every conversation, in every act, in every deed. God, empty us of ourselves and fill us with your love. Help us to take the harder road. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Friends, I want you to know that God loves you like nobody else has ever loved you before. He believes in you. He sees things in you you don't see in yourself. And he wants to have a relationship with you. God so loved you and God so loved me that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That means you put your faith, you put your trust in him. You put all your weight on him. So here's my question. Are you ready to experience the love of God? The love of God that will cast your sin as far as the east is from the west and he will remember your sin no more. He will give you the second chance, the fresh start that you've been looking for. If you're interested in talking to someone about what a relationship with God is like, all you have to do is call us or text us at 505-922-9200. There are pastors waiting for your phone call, pastors who are there right now ready to type back to you a text message, 505-922-9200. If you want to get baptized, you want to join the church, whatever decision you want to make, whatever spiritual step you need, if you've got a prayer request, you're stuck someplace, you want to talk to somebody, 505 505- 505-922-9200. Let us come alongside you and help you with that. Thanks for watching.